0: All right, my friends, welcome back to your Bible book by book. I'm Pastor Luke, and this is the book of 2 Peter. Uh, 2 Peter, written by the Apostle Peter, uh, towards the end of his life, written as a general letter um, intended to to be read by uh, all the churches, by um, many Christians, um, meant for the church to help the church in its uh, its continual uh, movement towards uh, replicating the gospel in other people's lives. Um, Peter says in, in chapter 1, um, in verse 13 and 14, he, he knows that he's going to be martyred. He says, I think it's right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body because I know that I will soon put it aside uh, as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. So uh, Peter is apparently in prison. Um, he is um, heading towards martyrdom, and he knows it very clearly. Um, and so he is writing a, a final letter to really warn the church uh, against false teaching. Uh, What you see in Scripture a lot, and especially in the New Testament uh, letters, is warnings about false teachings and yet uh, very little information about what those particular false teachings were. Uh, Sometimes you have uh, glimpses of it here and there uh, where you have people that are denying the resurrection um, or you have people that are um, mocking um, the the return of Christ which is what Peter is going to talk about uh, but you, you don't have a lot of information about what those specific false teachings are and I think that there's a reason for that which is that false teaching um, changes all the time uh, depending on the culture and the audience and and uh, what's going on in the world and what people are, are uh, thinking and what they're ready to receive. And so it's it's never the same type of false teaching. It's always something different. So there's not a, a lot of uh, need in Scripture to, um, you know, outline or, or explain the false teaching. What what the Scripture is going to do is tell us what the right teaching is or what the, the right response is uh, in order to make sure that you and I as Christians are always ready to... Uh, adhere to the truth, teach the truth, and uh, understand counterfeit uh, when we see it, understand false teaching when we see it um, and, and how that's going to look in our own time, our own culture, our own day, uh, our own generation. So uh, Peter, he helps us to understand that there are two basic issues that, uh, that scripture is always looking at um, in terms of how to defend against false teaching one is right doctrine or teaching or what is true according to what scripture says and then there's also right living um, and you cannot have one without the other uh, one one is as necessary uh, as the other in order to make sure that you continue on the path towards truth Um, You can't live your way out of of falsehood and you can't think your way out of of falsehood. You have to have um, both of these things working together. And so Peter says in chapter one um, that three different times in in chapter one, verse eight, nine and ten, that there are qualities uh, that we need to possess in order uh, to make sure that we are not ineffective or unproductive in our knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, And so. He goes and he says that in chapter, or chapter 1, verse 8. He says it in verse 9, uh, again, that, that we need to possess these qualities. In verse 10, again, that uh, brothers, uh, be all the more eager to make your calling and le- election sure, for if you do these things, you will never fall. And so um, I think it's important to help um, understand what those qualities are uh, because he, he seems to emphasize it over and over and over. So, what the qualities are, he says, add to your faith um, virtue, and to your vir- virtue, knowledge, knowledge, self control, self control, patience, patience, godliness, godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. And let me just explain those real quickly, real simply. Um, faith is the conviction of the truth. Um, and so, we, we believe um, and we trust what is true. Who is true? God. Uh, what his message is, uh, and his plan for salvation, which is through Christ, and, and our receiving of that. So we do it by an act of faith, which is that we're convinced of the truth. Uh, we add to that virtue, which is moral excellence or purity or a, a growing uh, desire to be Christ-like. And, uh, and that that's an interesting issue because um, we have two things going on. One is that we are... Um, by faith positionally um, seen as perfect or righteous through faith in Jesus Christ God looks at us and he sees that we're a new creation that we're forgiven that we're righteous and pure um, but we're always called uh, through scripture to apply that truth to our lives so we're not saved by being good but because we are saved number one we're seen as good but we're also given the ability to to, to do good and to be better and to improve um, in our, our walk of life because we know what the truth is and what God wants, what he desires, and by the power of the Holy Spirit living in us, we have the ability to do better, and, and it should be our aim to do better. and So we apply faith, first of all, a conviction of the truth, and then in that we grow in our virtue, which is our desire to be more like God um, and, and living that out. Virtue, we add knowledge. Knowledge is understanding, um, which comes from an application of God's truth and an experience of it over time. So we grow in knowledge the more we read his word and the more we live uh, a a life that honors God, um, our knowledge grows. um, And we're always seeking to allow that and to expand uh, that knowledge to grow. Um, To knowledge, we add self-control, which means that we are uh, seeking to master Our desires. Um, And that's a difficult thing because um, we will always struggle with the two natures that we have. We have a a sinful nature that God is forgiving and he is changing and that he will one day he will completely uh, reform in heaven. Uh, But we still live with it on earth. And then we have a new nature in Christ that is growing and uh, it's maturing, uh, but it is not um, in complete control. Uh, not perfectly, not until we get to heaven. And so self-control means that we are um, applying more energy to master our desires, to master the sinful desires and and, uh, make sure that we conquer them uh, through repentance and through faith and through um, accountability and uh, study and prayer and all the things that that we need to do with putting ourselves in a Christian uh, community and, and avoiding... Um, the environments and the, and the uh, opportunities to sin and those things, but and, and uh, yet we are called to live in this world. Um, we're not called out of it until we go to heaven. So um, it's a constant struggle, but we're supposed to have a growing um, self-control. Uh, from, from there, we uh, add patience, and that means that we endure, that we persevere, um, that we don't give up just because we fail. Um, And and that's an important thing to add to self-control because we will fail and we will struggle and we'll have setbacks and uh, it won't be a straight line forward. It'll be kind of a circular line uh, where we find ourselves back a few steps from where we ever thought that we might be, um, but we don't give up. We continue. Uh, To patience, we add godliness, which is uh, an interesting thing. It sounds like it might be Uh, like virtue or even like self-control, but godliness is more like uh, a reverence for God. So uh, on top of our perseverance, we need to continually worship, uh, apply our our minds and our hearts to honoring God, to lifting him up, to uh, reverencing him, and and in some ways fearing God. And and, uh, that's an interesting Christian concept because we say um, we shouldn't be afraid of God Uh, but we should uh, reverence him, which is be in awe of him and um, hold him in very high regard. Um, And so it sounds like the fear of the Lord, um, which is how the Bible would talk about it, but that fear is not an afraid kind of fear. It's a reverence kind of fear, Um, but we grow in that, and that's godliness. Uh, And to godliness, we add brotherly kindness, which is um, a love and an affection and a relationship uh, and a connection with other believers. Um, it's, it's the uh, fellowship that we have with our church. It's the connection that we have with people who believe like we do, uh, have the values that we have that worship uh, the same God that we do. Um, and so we have to grow in that because that is, uh, number one, it's the environment that, that is going to help us grow. And number two, Um, It is uh, an accountability to us when we are in those um, environments that we have people that can look at us and say, okay, you're (laughs) uh, not walking the way that you need to walk. We see you're slipping. There's things that you're allowing into your life. There's things that need to change um, and allowing other people to have that uh, ability uh, to be honest with us about that. And that's so brotherly kindness is important because it helps us to grow. And then from there, love, which brotherly kindness and love sound like the same thing. They're two different words that both mean love or they they are translated love um, in in our language, but it's an agape love, uh, which is a love that um, is self-sacrificing, that is for other people. Um, So the brotherly kindness um, is a little bit self-serving. It's it's, uh, fellowship that uh, we enjoy. Love uh, on the next level of agape love is, regardless of how you feel, you do the right thing for other people. And what gets to the point here is that this kind of progression uh, leads to what we would call a replication of our faith in other people. So we go down the list of all these things so that we can grow into maturity, um, and the the end result of that maturity is to produce that same kind of faith in somebody else and and ultimately in many other people that that we are living our faith um, in such a way so authentically and so openly that uh, other people are being affected by it Um, it should be um, translating into other people's lives it's infectious and so that's the ultimate goal Um, of the Christian life is not just to have security for your own eternity, but to have a a faith that um, is reproduced in other people, and um, that's something that is both um, organic and cultivated, which means that on some level, um, we would expect that that would happen because um, people just, just are um, in our presence and they see our life and they see how we're living and how we're thinking and how we talk and it's different and they, they like the, the hope that we have and there's, they're motivated or encouraged by the, the things that, um, that we, they see in us that are unique uh, because of our faith. Um, and then, So that's organic, but the cultivated thing is, is that we actually are intentional about seeking to produce it in other people. Um, by witnessing or inviting or um, praying that God would give us opportunities to share our faith. And so uh, it's both organic and cultivated uh, that we want to see these things happen. And when we apply these things more and more, um, and we see them growing in our life more and more, um, we have the ultimate remedy to um, the false teaching that is going to happen. That, and Peter says False teachers are, are here, they're, they're in the churches now, they're going to be in your churches, uh, they're going to be among the people just like they always have been. Uh, you need to be aware of that, you need to uh, be aware of their motives, you need to be aware of their, their uh, practices, how they deceive people. Um, but you need to understand that um, the false teaching can be avoided if you will believe, God's word says and and apply that to your life and live it in an authentic way you're doing those two things then you're not going to uh, suffer from the false teaching that is uh, prevalent in the world Um, you'll have the remedy that you need so he goes into uh, some different interesting areas in second Peter it's just a short book three three chapters um, but he goes into some spiritual mysteries um, and I don't probably have time to uh, dive into all the mysteries, Uh, but there's some unique things that Peter says. And ultimately what we're seeing here, because he talks about angels that are in prison, he talks about Jesus, uh, when he uh, died, he went to preach to those in prison, or in in the theological concept that we understand is that Jesus, when he died, went to Hades. Um, and, and uh, he preached to the, the souls that were in torment. Um, that's a difficult concept to wrap your mind around, um, and not everybody agrees about what, that prob- what, what happened there. Did Jesus go to heaven? Did he go to hell when he died in the three days that he was in the tomb? Um, where was his soul, basically? Um, and what Peter indicates is that he went to torment. Now, um, in the Old Testament understanding, um, what was happening is that the, there was one place called Hades that was divided. In Luke chapter 16, you can go back and read that, and, and there's a story about Lazarus and the rich man. And uh, Lazarus, the, the, the poor homeless man, um, he, he goes to paradise, uh, but the rich man goes to uh, torment. But it's one big place. It's divided by a big chasm. They can't get to each other one side is paradise the other side is torment um, but it's all called hades Um, and what some people believe and this is what what i believe is that jesus went to paradise he told the the thief on the cross next to him um, when you die you're going to see me in paradise today you will be with me in paradise Um, and so the the thief on the cross who put his faith in jesus Um, actually would have gone to what is called Abraham's bosom or paradise, uh, which I believe is where Jesus went. But the whole area, the whole place um, was called Hades. And when Jesus was raised, uh, I believe that the paradise side of Hades was emptied out. And uh, all the Old Testament believers who looked forward to the Messiah, um, they were in paradise and they got to go finally to heaven. Um, And so, the paradise side of Hades is no longer uh, occupied. Uh, The torment side is still occupied. And so in Revelation, it says that Hades will be thrown into the lake of fire, which is what concept we have is is hell, that that is ultimate um, eternal um, punishment in hell. Well, Hades uh, will be thrown into hell. And so all those things Peter is sharing with us in some ways – um, in the spiritual mysteries that where Jesus goes and the angels that are in, kept in gloomy dungeons and, and all these things. But what his point is, <laughs> is that uh, we need to live our lives in such a way that we are looking forward to um, and in some ways in, in respect of the return of Christ, that Jesus is going to return. When he returns, that the world will be judged but those who have trusted and believed in him uh, will, will be rewarded. Um, but because of that judgment being so final, um, those who, who we care for in this world right now who do not know him um, need to uh, be told. They need to see a witness. They need to be told the truth. They need to be, be influenced by people who live the truth. And uh, that can only happen if believers... Um, Have a real concept and real understanding that there is a a, an end to this world. That there's an end to it. That Jesus is going to return, and uh, and in that return, um, the choices are over. um, And and what we've done in this life, um, in terms of choosing Christ or rejecting Him, uh, are what gonna are what gonna matter most in in eternal life. And so. Uh, Peter says, live your life in such a way that you're looking forward to that. Uh, Not as a fearful thing in terms of, oh, no, what's going to happen, but in terms of a hopeful expectation. Finally, um, God's going to correct and put right everything in this world that is so wrong. Um, But that is also the last chance um, that people have to receive grace. And so we want to share Christ. um, We want to live it in such a way that people can uh, escape the judgment that is coming. And so uh, that's, that's what Second Peter is about. Um, it's a fantastic short book. I hope that you'll read it soon. Um, it is, after all, your Bible, book by book.